Welcome to a special edition of the JD Blunkus podcast here at noon. Hopefully this podcast gets out just in time before the game starts, just so you can listen to this. I don't know if listening to content helps you calm the nerves or not. I personally, my move as a sports fan was always basically bury my head in the sand until a game starts and then almost try to like limp into it. Like, Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'll turn the TV on. Is it started yet? Maybe I'll miss the first minute. That's nice. Isn't that so nice? You missed the first minute hoping that your team has scored, that you didn't see it, that it's just there. You enter a game with a little less pressure. Oh, that's delicious to me. I was always a, if my team wins, I want all the content guy. I want to hear every single person say nice things about my team. And if the team loses, I just want full media blackout. It's why the worst thing that ever happened to me here was when the Leafs blew 4-1. I was the morning show audio editor and I had to come in and cut all the clips from streeters, highlights, post game, everything. And I sat there and went, now you, this is a real realization of what you've done to yourself. You've decided to take something that was fun Sports, you've turned it into a job that you can't avoid. So sit here in the pain and cut these clips and cut Jack Edwards saying ruthless, ruthless things about one of the worst nights of your life. Enjoy. There's nothing more stressful than playoff baseball. It's addicting. When it goes away, you miss it. When it's there, you hate it. It's agonizing. I I can say that I've been to... Every major sporting events playoffs, there is nothing more excruciating than playoff baseball in a big spot when your team is pitching and there are runners on and you know it's a ball game. Like even just mentioning this right now and thinking about what we have in front of us today is making my skin crawl. And yet there's a sick, sick part of all of us that loves it. The stakes is what we wait for all year. So all I've been really thinking about the last 24 hours is we as a fan base, the Toronto Blue Jays fan base, it's time to to wipe the slate clean with this team, okay? It's time to put away the frustrations. This was an annoying season. We can just all admit it. They won 89 games. That that was not the expectation this year. If you would have said the Jays are going to win 89 games to most Blue Jays, prognosticators, fans, whatever, they would have said that's a nightmare. There's no way that's going to happen. It was a bit of a step back. There were a lot of really good things. The the starting pitchers we went over, it was phenomenal. Having an actual bullpen you could rely upon, feeling like it wasn't going to be a disaster when they went to the bullpen, that was so nice. But going to home games and having a record that was barely over 500 after they changed the ballpark up, which those things, those were pretty nice. Outside of the dimensions, it was frustrating. This was a frustrating season. There's just no other way to put it. And anybody who tells you otherwise, I'm sorry, they're not a real fan of this baseball team. There's some nerd that's trying to tell you about something that they're they're gaslighting you, essentially. They're gaslighting you. This was a frustrating season. There were moments of just pure agony this year. And, And for a team that won 89 games, far more than they lost, I would say that the moments of utter frustration were bigger than the moments of exhilaration, joy, all those things. Anyway, it's time to wipe the slate clean. It's time to go into this. As Coach Taylor would say, clear eyes, full hearts, okay? 
This is, this is it. This is what we're waiting for. And all I have to say is 2016, it was very similar. The end of 2016 was an absolute grind. And all of the idiots came out of the woodwork and they went, this is not real playoffs. It sure felt like real playoffs to me when I was in that building. I watched Edwin put it over the fence against Ubaldo Imenez, of all people. A, a former Blue Jays legend, kind of, the, in the fake signing reality. Anyway, time to wipe the slate clean. Forget what you saw. Forget what you know. And just embrace the pain, the suffering, the agony, and the exhilaration that is playoff baseball. Arden Welling, Blue Jays reporter. Hello, sir. I was going to say good morning, but it's not right. I'm, I'm, I'm like a starting pitcher. I'm out of my routine. It's morning where I'm at right now. So That's still, nice. uh, still correct. Good morning to you. Good morning to you out there yeah. in Minnesota. How are we feeling today, brother? Oh, this is like the worst possible time for you to bring me on after that whole speech because I'm here to tell you these playoff games are going to be agonizing. Oh, they're yeah, gonna they're going to They're going to be frustrating. Oh, yeah. No, I've been more of the same. That's, that's, I've. <laughs> There is no such thing as a non-agonizing playoff baseball game. Like, you have to... I'm trying to think of when I would feel good after last year against the Mariners when everyone was like, the Jays have won this game. This game is in the bag. I, I Like, 12 nothing. I think 12 nothing after the seventh, sixth or seventh inning, I would start to be like, okay, they did this. If this game or this series goes two games, J.D., you might not see 12 runs between the two teams. No, I don't think so. Combined. They're going to be low-scoring, grindy, match-up-y, uh, high-strikeout games. They're decided by whichever team like is able to clip one over the wall with a couple of runners on. Mm. You know what I saw today, though, which bodes well for the Blue Jays? I'm going to do the like what bodes well and what bodes against. But what bodes well is I did see that in games where there were three runs allowed or less... The Blue Jays, do you, do you know where they rank in terms of teams in Major League Baseball? No idea. First, they had a win percentage of 86. They were 74 and 12. That's wild. Yeah, I didn't know that, and I don't know like what that means. Oh, <laughs> that, means that means that... They pitched really well, and they didn't need to score a ton to win. In regular season games requiring less than three runs, right? So in games where they held their opponents to three runs or less... They won the most amount of games in all of Major League Baseball. So if you think that it's going to be a grinded out series where there's not a lot of runs, where it's extremely low scoring, then that bodes well for the Blue Jays, who were the best team in baseball. Now, the Twins were fifth. They were 60 and 21, 74% win percentage. But yeah, the Blue Jays being first, I think like you have to look at that as a bit of a positive indicator if you think it's going to be a grind. I wonder if that particular statistic is more descriptive than predictive. We'll see. I mean, the Blue Jays certainly hope so. Um, the thing about the Twins is they hit a ton of bombs. I mean, led the AL in home runs. A high proportion of the runs scored came by a home run, and nearly 50% of the runs the Blue Jays allowed this year came by a home run, which is one of the highest rates in the league. So really, like, the Twins are going to go deep in this series. It's going to happen. It's what they do. It's how their offense is built. For the Blue Jays, it's just imperative that they are not walking a batter or allowing a couple bloop singles ahead of that big swing because mm -hmm. you know it's coming. Yeah, this is the, that's the thing that scares me about the Blue Jays and what I've said all season long. To me, it's really not that difficult to figure out the runners and scoring position thing or why the offense was so frustrating. It's like they don't hit for power. Like, they need three singles in an inning to score a run, and that's the way that they've been constructed. They get base runners on, and then they don't cash them because they don't have consistent hitters, and they've just had a, yeah, they've had a bit of a rough go. I, 
Okay, let's get into the series itself because I, I want to talk about some of the choices and some of the, yeah, the decision-making and what we expect to see moving forward here. You're on the ground. Okay, so Gossman was a no-brainer, right? Like, duh, he was clearly going to start game one. Um, I don't really I don't really have the same hand-wringing as some other people, but it should be mentioned that, yeah, he does have a 630 ERA in 10 innings versus the Twins this year. He gave up 11 hits and nine walks in those 10 innings. Um, do you... Do you get the sense from the Blue Jays, Gossman? I know Shai wrote the piece about how he's so calm, but do you get the sense that the Blue Jays feel like the Twins have something in particular on him or a way that they're going to try to combat this, if so? They felt that with the Twins, and they felt that with a couple of clubs that have seen him well over the last couple of years, and there's been ongoing adjustments. And remember, it's not always the pitcher that can be given something away. It can be the catcher as well. And a point of emphasis with Blue Jays catchers um, really since last year against Seattle is their setup and how early they're setting up and making sure they're not giving anything away to either the you know hitter in the box or a potential runner on second base or, as we saw at times this season, sometimes a base coach uh, who can relay things to a hitter. So I think that, like, for Kevin Gosman today, it's absolutely imperative that he is consistent with what he's doing with his gloves and with his rhythms on the mound. Um, I think that for Alejandro Kirk, it is imperative that he is very deliberate in the way that he sets up and that he's setting up late and that that's not just a first inning thing, but it's also a third and fourth inning thing. Catchers have so much to think about in games in terms of pitch calling and controlling running games and defenses and stuff like that. When you try, like, it's easy to fall into that rhythm and that muscle memory of just certain setting up a certain way if you aren't really attuned to it and really on top of it. So that's big. And then I think also just Gosman's approach. Fastball's got to be down in the zone. Splitters have to be thrown for strikes. Can't be a situation where every splitter finishes as a ball because that makes you more predictable. And then the fastball has to be worked down in the zone to either side of the plate. That's going to help counter some of the natural patientness of uh, of the Twins hitters and, you know, a, a good collective approach that I expect they'll bring to this ball game. 43% whiff rate on his splitter this year, only 25% against the Twins. So, yeah, it's I think it's going to be a pretty major storyline in this game, um, the way that we, we see Gossman get that splitter over. Okay, now let's go to the decision-making here. Um, let's start with this. Were you at all surprised that Bassett was named the Game 3 starter? I wasn't. I think it's really a, a coin flip between Barrios and Bassett for Game yeah. 2 and Game 3. I will say, like, Bassett's had his troubles against lefties this yeah. year. Barrios has, too, but Bassett to a greater extent nearly an 850 OPS against lefties this year. And the Twins can start like a lot of really capable lefties from Julian right at the top of the lineup. Mm -hmm. Blanco's a switch hitter, Kurilov, Kepler, Walner. Like there's just a lot of good lefties up in this lineup. So maybe that was what sort of made the decision and tipped the scales. But I think part of it also was just letting the pitchers stay in their rhythm and their routine, keeping them on turn. Um, because you feel good about whoever you're throwing in that game, whether it's Brios or Bassett. So I think when it came down to it, the Blue Jays said, hey, let's just kind of leave well enough alone. I got to be honest. I, I thought Brios for sure. I think the conversation for me with game three was more about, was it going to be Kikuchi? Because, yeah, you just look at, like, okay, I get, I think it was May, right, when Bassett had that horrible game against the Twins. It was seven earned runs in four innings. And you look at Bassett's road splits this year, and it's really not great. 450 ERA, 90 innings pitch. He's given up 19 bombs if we're talking about being afraid of the long ball from the Twins. And then, yeah, if you look at Minnesota's numbers against right-handed pitching versus left-handed pitching and then Bass's splits against lefties and righties, 
I think that there's actually like a pretty compelling case for Kikuchi. Do you, it doesn't seem like in your answer there when you brought up the three guys that it, it was much of a conversation at all for the Jays. I kind of like Kikuchi coming in to take the third trip behind one of those two guys, maybe even Barrios in game two. And now all of a sudden you're putting Rocco Baldelli into a situation where he's thinking, all right, am I pinch hitting for a Kurilov or for a Walmer, for a Kepler? And maybe the Blue Jays feel like they gain some advantage there if there's like a lesser true talent player being put into the game in order to counteract the Kikuchi matchup. Uh, you know, and I think there would have also been just some question about Kikuchi starting a game with how inconsistent he's been with his fastball command of late. Um, and really, like, if you started Kikuchi, would you then be putting Rios or Bassett in the bullpen? Would you be putting them on ice until the DS? Um, like, there would be a lot of cascading decisions to be made from there. So this is really a, a pretty simple path. I think sets the Blue Jays up well to counter the Twins, which is, like, really these games are going to become, like, big kind of matchup fests awfully quickly yeah dude this is part of the reason why like i actually think that if they were going to go to kikuchi i would have pitched him in game two because uh, i I just don't like the idea and i would have had bassett in game three i just don't like the idea of either kikuchi or burrios in a game three where it's a all-in must win do or die situation that's just my personal opinion about the way that maybe those two guys would handle the pressure of that moment a little differently but yeah, I just I, I was a little surprised that they announced it and decided to go. Hey, we're we're going with three righties against a team full of lefties that kind of mashes that sort of pitching. Yeah, I think that you feel good about the adjustments that those two guys were able to make throughout the course of the season. Like for mm-hmm. for Bassett, it was his cutter. Like he was going in with his cutter to lefties a lot earlier this year and giving up a lot of homers doing that. So he started working away from them. And obviously, he's got like such a deep arsenal that, and he's so intelligent on the mound. And he's so good at making adjustments and kind of reading swings and adjusting his game plan to what's actually happening live in the moment. I think you trust the Bassett can turn this lineup over twice. And same thing with Barrios. I mean, the four-seamer was just getting hammered by lefties again throughout the summer. Like, it was very 2022-ish with the way the lefties are teeing off on him. So he just went away from the four-seamer. He went to the sinker, and he was just really precise with the way that he located it down and to the edges. And then, obviously, tunneling the slurve off of that um same you know similar story for changeup like lefties were just teeing off on the changeup in august so brios went away from it and those adjustments really helped those guys overcome some of their struggles against lefties obviously minnesota is going to be aware of those adjustments um you know if you're the blue jays you hope that the you know the, the cat mouse counter doesn't come here in these in these spots and that those guys are able to kind of stay ahead of the curve so yeah, that's the first major decision. I don't think that there were any surprises when it came to the actual rest of the roster, right? Like, for you, everything was pretty much chalk? That's what I thought yeah. would happen. Like, if, if I'm the decision maker, yeah. I'm honestly taking 13 pitchers, yeah. um, and I'm not taking Cam Eden. Okay. Um, that's just like the speed. I was the decision maker. I mean, I just see, I foresee, a, either way you're looking at, like, a contingency plan, right? Uh-huh. So it's, do I want the speed for, like, a late game spot where I got a pinch run for a, a belt or a Kirk in a, in a tie game and I really need some speed out there? The other contingency plan is, like, say game one, you burn through a whole bunch of relievers and game two goes to extra innings and you don't have the Manfred runner on second base and all of a sudden you've gone through 12. And because these games got so matchup, you've asked so much of your pitching staff. I, in like a very risk averse way, would want to just have that one extra pitcher just in case, just so I don't get caught with my pants down in a tough situation or just so I'm not like, 
going into game three with Hicks, Romano, Swanson all having pitched on back-to-back days because, like, the data on relievers pitching on back-to-back days is really bad. The data on back-to-back-to-backs is disastrous, J.D., so I, I would foresee that kind of disaster scenario, and it would have scared me into 13 and 13. Dude, this is what I, again, this is one of the most fascinating subplots of this entire series to me. Like, okay, yeah, we're going to be caring about the matchups and all that stuff. I, I think that's an interesting point. I thought Eden was just going to be in there because, yeah, like people had basically been telling me for a week that that was going to happen and that they just really coveted his speed and a tight spot in one of these ball games. blah, blah, blah. But what you just said makes, you know, honestly, a little bit more sense to me too. But, okay, th- like we're living in the age of analytics like, this is what we, we do here. And so I do think that there's a little bit of fascination with these starting pitching decisions where, like, yeah, man, that these are not the analytical choices. It, it would be Barrios. Or, sorry, it, it would be Kikuchi in here. Like, he would be one of the guys. If we were strictly going by the numbers. This feels like a big-time eye test veteran, you know, the, the decision-making of John Schneider. And so I wonder, like, when they were making these calls – does this ultimately land completely with him? What, what do you think the deliberation process is when it came to, hey, how we're deciding on who these guys are going to be? I mean, the honest answer is it's a collaboration between coaching staff, between front office, between medical staff, health folks, strength and performance, who's in a good spot. You know, mm. I think with Kikuchi, like the fastball command just was not reliable enough over the final two months. I like, credit to him for having the year that he did and mm-hmm. for being like as honestly elite as he was at one point this season. But, you know, final two months, like he just wasn't in the zone enough. And like we just weren't seeing that strike throwing and that aggressiveness of the fastball. If anything, he went away from it in a really big way. And the other thing is, like, you're right. You are seeing, you know, John Schneider go with his guys a lot lately. You are seeing him, like, play to win the game in front of him. Like, I think that there's a lot of unfair criticism thrown his way for Mm. having computers make his decisions or, you know, having the front office, like, make his decision for just being a conduit for the analytics staff. I mean, do you think that, like, Matt Chapman loved being pinch hit for um, and hitting eight? Do you think that Jordan Romano's stoked? No, but do I think he deserved it? Yeah. Anymore? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. yeah. Do you think Whitten Airfield's excited to be a bench player right now? Like, nope. I think that you've seen John Schneider make some really tough decisions down the stretch here because I think the guy is just managing to win every game, every inning, every at bat. Like, he's just managing to win what is in front of him. And that could extend to, you know, that will extend to a lot of the, the decisions I think you'll see in this series. Do you think he's under pressure? I don't think so. I think that like he's confident and he's prepared and he knows that like he is aware of every potential matchup, every potential counter move that Rocco Baldelli or whoever the manager on the other side could possibly make. He's thought through every scenario. So like I'm sure you relate to this. Like if you feel like you are well prepared for whatever is going to be thrown at you and you've done everything prior to actually executing in performance um, that you can possibly do, there is like a calm confidence that comes with that the outcomes aren't always going to go your way but as long as you're prepared and ready for anything i I don't think that you feel that much pressure yeah okay so you mentioned it the bullpen decisions the going romano in the eighth and hicks it backfired the one time they tried to use it um hicks walks rymel tapia which i didn't know was possible until that moment (laughs) um how do you think it plays out now? Like, do you think that they actually have clarification? They go back to Romano as the closer. They put him back in the comfortable role, or was that a preview of what's to come? I think it, it'll depend on the situation. In that situation, are you okay with allowing some contact? Because if you are, 
Jordan Hicks will allow some contact, but he creates like a really unique run environment where that contact is very typically on the ground. Mm-hmm. So not a guy you love with like, I don't know, one out and two runners in scoring position, but one out and a runner on first, you might be okay with that. Do you really need swing and miss in that situation? Well, now Jordan Romano is probably the preferred candidate because he gets more in swing and miss than Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks for, you know, the 102 with sink hasn't gotten a ton of swing and miss with the Blue Jays. I, th- I think the, the big concern with Romano, honestly, is, is just kind of the home run ball and the loud mm-hmm. contact, the fact that his slider has not been the same lately, the fact that he's kind of taken a few pitches early in his appearances to find his velocity. Um, I think that when Romano is like 98-99 with a strike-to-ball slider, he is among the elite relievers in this game. But if he's like 95-96 with a slider without a ton of depth that's hanging up in the zone, he's actually pretty ordinary at this level. Okay, what's your read on the Romano health situation? Like the cracked fingernail, he said that it's no big deal. But yeah, it's hard to ignore it when the command has been different, I I think coinciding with the nail, no? And there's a back issue that he battled earlier this year as well, right? Right. He tried to come back from it and, you know, had a setback, had to go on the IL. Uh, Like, look, he says he feels fine. He says he's he's good enough to go out and compete. So you take him at his word. But, Mm. like, it's pretty clear from the data that we have available to us that he's not getting as much much extension down the mound as he was um, prior this year. So that's where, like, how far that down the mound he strides and where he releases the ball from. He's just not getting down the mound as much as he was prior. So that's impacting how his fastball plays up. We're also seeing him, like, early in outings take, three or four fastballs to find his velocity. We're seeing the first few at, you know, 95, 96 before he gets to that 98, 99. And look, it's good that he eventually gets there. But if I'm noticing that, the Minnesota Twins are noticing that, and they're telling Carlos Correa, hey, get geared up early. And if you see a fastball early, attack it, because it's likely not going to be quite as firm as the ones you're going to see later on. And then the slider hasn't been located as consistently. We've just seen more of those cement mixers hanging up instead Mm -hmm. of that, like, really sharp, biting downward slider with that, like, great drop and that great movement. We've seen less horizontal movement on the slider over the last... I don't know, several outings. I don't know exactly how many, as we saw earlier this year. So all of that does, uh, you know, it, it like all of that is impacting the results that we're seeing from Jordan Nevada. Remember when you came on, you told me that you're going to make me feel the agony stuff. <laughs> that was, yeah, no, that, I told you. that, that one, <laughs> that one sat in my stomach, like a rock. I just, everything you said there, I went, Oh God, I like the, one of the things I was supposed to be most confident about is him. And he feels like, I don't know, like, where do you put him in terms of biggest question marks in this series? The Jays are, I don't, I don't want to say the success is predicated on the bullpen, but I did say about a month ago after they made the, the Hicks trade and the bullpen was just rolling. Like that they were the reason to believe that the blue Jays could win a world series. When I looked at them, I thought, Hey, this is, this is what we've seen from some of these teams that you, you kind of sleep on. And this is what we've seen from teams that have eliminated the Blue Jays, right? This is, this is what we saw from Kansas City when, in 2015. This is what we saw with Cleveland, right? These nasty bullpens that could shut down games. And now I'm like, I'm a little nervous about Hicks pitching the ninth, just in terms of him being elevated to that role. And I know it's just based off of the one start, but... He's had a season, right, where he he did walk guys at the beginning. That was a bit of the book. And then for him to walk Tapia, I went, ugh, this is, that's what we were kind of warned about. And then the issues with Romano at this point, like, 
yeah, it just, it feels like maybe they're leaning a little bit too much now or might have to lean a little bit too much now on, on some of the, I hate to call them this, but the lessers. Well, there is really good depth to this bullpen, yep. so you don't feel bad about going to Eric Swanson, um, particularly against lefties because of his because of his splitter. Uh, when Jimmy Garcia is rested and he's like 98, 99, he can be really overpowering. Uh, you know, to Meza, Yenisys Cabrera, you feel good about against lefties. Chad yeah. Green is, you know, quietly really, really competent in, in late innings. And like, like Jordan Romano, yeah. And, and Jordan Romano, the last time we saw him against Tampa, was electric, right? Like, he had his stuff, and things are working in that yeah. eighth inning appearance. Jordan Hicks, things didn't go well for him that day. But, I mean, every outing prior to yeah. that in September, he was automatic. Uh, it was hardly walking anybody, and the sinker was overpowering. He looked like Jordan Hicks. So uh, with relievers, as you know, the performance is volatile. The results can swing rather dramatically. Um, I think the Blue Jays feel a lot better about their bullpen going into this series than they did going into their series against Seattle oh, last yeah. year. I'll tell you that much. Oh, they yeah. got more swing and miss. they got more velocity, and they just have more pure options, more depth. So that if you do put someone on the mound and it's like hard hit single, hard hit single walk, you can get them out of there really quickly and bring in someone else who should be capable of doing the job. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I guess where the worry starts to set in for me with those back end guys is like the back to back scenarios that you outlined, right? Like these are all must win games. And yeah, I might feel okay with Romano coming in to protect the lead in game one against the Twins. But I, I do wonder what these scenarios are going to look like, you know, after after he pitches, what the game two is going to look like. And, yeah, I definitely don't want to see the back-to-back-to-back scenario that you outlined there. I don't even want to hear that data, you know? I don't. We, none of us need that right now. None <laughs> of us. Yeah, I know. I, guess what? None of us need it because if we're in game three, there's going to be enough stress. I don't need dancing around in my head the numbers that Arden laid out about, yeah, what the, what the relief pitchers look like on day three. Okay, so speaking of the injuries, let's move to the Twins then a little bit here. They're, they're like, seemingly extremely banged up. Like, what's your read on the lineup that they're going to field today? Seems like Royce Lewis is good enough to DH and DH only. So that does like really kind of hamstring what they're able to do. That takes away a lot of the versatility. Yeah, for sure. Um, And Carlos Correa, I mean, is, you know, says he's good to go and we'll kind of see how mobile he is and just how dynamic he is on his feet. But, uh, you know, I I think that the twins are going to have Lewis in there. He's a really dangerous hitter. And I think they're going to have four lefties in there and possibly even five guys batting from the left side with Polanco as the switch hitter. So I think that for Kevin Gosman, it's going to be really imperative that he is throwing fastballs down the zone, working a splitter to either side of the plate. Like this twins lineup is Mm -hmm. dangerous. There is power up and down at 12 players on this team with double digit home runs. They can leave the yard in a hurry and they are very patient, very disciplined. Uh, They will take their walks. So when you give up a home run, which is going to happen for Blue Jays pitcher in this series, nah. don't let it happen after a bloop and a walk. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it'll be fine. <laughs> Mostly the good side. You know what, though? This is why, to me, this, this whole – like this is almost an obvious take, but, man, these starting pitchers, these right-handed guys, like if, if you can yeah, just get it to your bullpen – and hand it over to potentially Kikuchi that third time through, right? That you mentioned, hand it over to the Meza and Yenesis and let those kind of guys get in there and do their work. Yeah, God, it's just get last. Be able to put those guys in a position to succeed, please, for the love of God. Yeah, and then so, what, just no Buxton? 
Yeah, it seems like Buxton is off the roster, yeah. and like he hasn't played since early August. So, uh, like, look, he's obviously a really exciting player. It would have been phenomenal to see him, but yeah. I don't think the Blue Jays are upset that he's not there. <laughs> yeah, no, who cares? I don't, I don't care about like no no Blue Jays fan right now is like, God, it would have just been nice to see their good players out there playing. Like, you're not wishing for injuries, <laughs> but I don't think this is a situation where it's like Shohei Otani's coming to town in a regular season game. This is just, yeah, I, I don't care who plays for you. Um, okay, so you're uh you're a number you're a numbers guy you're a cold hard facts guy right like you're a take the emotion out of it the just give me the facts this is what's real this is what you know this is fantasy stuff what do you like what do you make of the twins 1 and 18 since 2004 in the playoffs like how much do you think that that impacts a team when things start to go sour or it impacts a stadium a, fa- a fan base all of those things like do you view that as an actual factor in this, even though, yes, they have nothing to do with the teams from 2004? I get it. Yeah. What do you think, J.D.? Yeah. What do you, what do you think I'm going to say? Yeah, I thought nothing. maybe that you nothing. would say something, that you would, you would say, you know, it's a, it's a 1%. Like, it's, a, it's, a, it's a not wow. a complete nothing to me. No, I think if anything, people are underestimating the Minnesota Twins. Like I yeah. think that they're it's they are a like nerdy sleeper pick to go to the ALCS. Mm-hmm. Like they they're a good team, and like mm-hmm. the more I've dug into them over the last couple of days, they're a good team. I went over the offense. I think that their starting pitching like speaks for itself. The you know, Gray and Lopez are just absolutely elite, and I think the Twins' record honestly is pretty misleading. The Twins this year went 19 and 27 in one-run games. And one-run games can so often come down to luck and weird turns of fate, things like that. If you just flip some of those one-run games around, the Twins have a much more impressive record. And they're playing well right now, down the stretch. From the start of September on, they go 18 and 10 with a plus 73 run differential. Since the All-Star break, they've scored five and a half runs a game. That's second to only Houston. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you are talking about a group of hitters who led the AL in home runs, a group of pitchers who led MLB in strikeouts, a bullpen that's completely different today than it was the last time the Blue Jays saw it. Blue Jays in, or the Twins in September, their bullpen led MLB in strikeout rate. Mm-hmm. It's a team that's playing really well right now with, I think, a really misleading record, and everyone's going to you know crap all over them because they played junior varsity all year mm-hmm. in that joke, the division. But this is a very legitimate opponent that the Blue Jays are going up against. Yeah, to be honest, like I, I get, it. I look at the record. Obviously, how could you not? But I do think that it's a little bit more telling the run differential, where I go, yeah, they're plus one nineteen, Jays are plus seventy five, and then also your record against teams above five hundred, which Minnesota is barely cracked. Right, they're thirty seven and thirty six this year, whereas the Blue Jays were forty three and fifty. I, I just. I view this series as a coin toss that really does come down to whether or not Kevin Gossman can find his true form against this team or whether or not these guys actually have something on him and they turn Kevin Gossman into just, you know, some middle rotation kind of pitcher. If he's their ace and they go out there and they take this lead, I think the Jays are going to find a way. I think if they lose this game, it's just it's really hard for me to envision Minnesota blowing two in a row. Uh, yeah, given the complexion of their team, given how hot they are. But that's the other one too, right? Is I, I was thinking about this, and I, I've been trying to factor this into part of the discussion. Like, I think the teams, I wrote it down somewhere, but I don't think I have it in front of me, so I'm going to try to remember it off the top of my head. I think that the Twins played in September because they were like, they're number one in runs per game and WRC+. plus. But I think they played the Rockies, the Angels, the A's for sure, the Reds... 
and then some other crap team will play in their division. So let's White Sox. It's got to be White Sox, right? I think those are the teams. I think I just nailed that. I think, <laughs> I think uh, Big Daddy Memory over here just absolutely crushed that. Do you? So you don't like what do you put into strength of competition down the stretch versus like what the Blue Jays had to do, where it's like you're playing good teams, some tough teams, and you got a battle to get in. Does that mean anything to you? I seem to remember the Blue Jays playing the Rockies. Oh, and yeah, earlier. And the Royals. Way before. The Nationals. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was a few September dates yeah. in there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like what I, the, the great thing about postseason is like you can just kind of wipe everything and it is a clean slate. It is, mm-hmm. you know, however you execute now is all that really matters. Like, though, you know, I you mentioned it being a coin flip. I totally agree. The mm-hmm. series is a coin flip. Like, I favor the Blue Jays in three games, but by a margin of like 52 to 48. You know, mm-hmm. I don't like feel super strong about the Blue Jays winning this series, but I think That's they can win it in three games. Um, but like I could just as easily see the Twins winning. And I just say it just comes down to who's going to clip one man at the right mm-hmm. time. Like which pitcher is going to make a mistake and which hitter is going to take advantage of it. Like I really do think this series might only have like if it goes two games like i don't know nine to a dozen runs in it if it goes three games maybe 15 cumulatively and it's really just going to be who clips one late because two really good pitching staffs two lineups with power one that's shown it a lot more blue jays have the edge in defense big time but it's the playoffs so like uh, you know that matters but um it's much more so a strikeout and home run game in the playoffs, even more so than it is in the regular season, which is why, like, I think it's going to be agonizing, frustrating, grindy. I don't know that it's going to be the uh, most low-stress watch for Blue no. Jays fans. No, yeah, that's pretty clear. Okay, so then let me just ask you this. I saw Blake do this yesterday on Jays Talk Plus, and I think it's just a great question. Do you think that the Blue Jays are better built for the playoffs this year than last year? I do. I think that their bullpen is much better this year than last year, and that's huge in the playoffs. Managers have to be so much more aggressive with their bullpen usage in the postseason, like get ready for John Schneider discourse over the next few days when he lifts the starter, you know, early in his third trip. Oh, I'll be a part of it, brother. I'll be right there at the front of the line. It's 100% going to happen. The Blue Jays are going to be aggressive with how they use. They didn't build this, like, deep, versatile bullpen not to utilize it now. This is when you utilize that bullpen. So I think they're better built from a bullpen standpoint. I think they have a much better rotation. You're not looking at Ross Stripling starting game three. You're looking at Chris Bassett, who just threw 200 innings uh, with like whatever he had, a 36 ERA. Uh, And behind him, you have Yusei Kikuchi, who honestly you wouldn't feel that terrible about if he was starting in this series. So on the pitching side, you feel much better. Um, you know, Blue Jays bench is probably not like you've got two shots, right? Do you want a homer? You're going to Davis Schneider. Do you want contact? You're going to Whitten Airfield, maybe Santiago Espinal, depending on how you feel about him. He's played so Mm -hmm. seldom down the stretch. Like you almost wonder like (laughs) what he can bring because we haven't seen it in a while. So I think your two best shots offensively are just like maybe Davis Snyder can clip one hit one over the fence. Whitmer Field will put the bat of the ball and try to run out a, a single or hopefully lift one into the shallow outfield and try to get to second base. Like those are your two shots offensively off the bench. Yeah, you know, it, I really uh, what really hit me when looking at the playoff roster was the loss of Danny Jansen here, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't know if you, this is a non-story to you, but yeah, I did have a moment where I went, huh, I wonder how Kirk would deal with playing three straight. He played like every game in September. That's, but that's what I'm saying. Is like it's been a huge role, and now this. 
Yeah, and I mean, I had questions about the workload down the stretch, and he's risen to the occasion. His defense has remained really consistent as it has all year, and he actually tapped into his offense a bit more down the stretch. So you hope that that continues. But yeah, the Blue Jays would be much better with Danny Jansen. They'd be much better with one more bat at the trade deadline. Whether that was Mark Canha, whether that was Teoscar Hernandez, pick your favorite guy that we talked about for weeks. The Blue Jays didn't acquire that guy at the trade deadline. And right now they absolutely look at least one bat short, really two when you consider the Jansen's out. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And I will say, though, that that last meaningful game against the Rays, I would have, if it was up to me, if I was like, I don't know who gets. I was the who gets the the police commissioner. I would have put Kirk in jail for that performance. Like I would have immediately been waiting for them with handcuffs and been like, "Hey, so jail for you." I don't know. You, I guess you're worn down from this one, but yeah, we got to go. I'm sorry, man. Uh, we got to do a perp walk in front of all these fans for this packed stadium. Are on our way. All right. And speaking of that packed stadium, all right. Here's again. These are the Arden's Welling tests. I love these because I sometimes I ask them, and if you give me like a a, a real response to them, I feel smarter. And then the, most of the time, though, you're like, nah, that's stupid. That's not a thing. You know, here's the actual data. Here's the numbers, J.D. You're, you're an idiot. What do you mean? Like, it's better that they're on the road to start the playoffs, right? Like, how, how could we say that it isn't given the numbers at home versus the numbers on the road? Yeah, no, I mean, considering what has happened this year, Blue Jays have had more power on the road. Mm-hmm. They've scored more runs on the road. They've won more on the road. I mean, everything has favored them on the road. It obviously goes against the common sense of you'd rather have 42,000 people cheering for you and getting on the opponent, and you'd much rather have the final inning. Like mm-hmm. To me, that's the biggest thing. I'd yeah. much rather be at home because I want the final inning. That's a massive advantage, particularly in extras. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just considering the way that things have played out this year, I don't think you're upset about the Blue Jays being on the road. But, uh, you know, if you kind of remove that context from it, I think that any team should want to play at home because the home team does – win more often over the history of baseball. Yeah. One of the things I'll do when this series is done is talk about whether or not Major League Baseball maybe tinkers with this thing. If, if home field advantage is actually going to be enough if a team like the Blue Jays ends up winning this. Okay, last one. And very generous with your time. You got to get down to the clubhouse. You got to chat with the players. You got to get the vibes. What is the biggest question mark for you in this series? Like, what is the thing that you find most fascinating? kind of funny but how they use Yusei Kikuchi because I just don't have a good read on it yet like is he a one inning guy is he someone who you're reticent to use because you're like oh no this is our like break class in case of emergency where like Jose Barrios you know has an injury in second inning of game two and we go to him Mm -hmm. uh you know so do you use him in short stint do you only save him for a long one like, I know that that's not, like, a super sexy answer, but I am no. just, like, really curious to see how you say Kikuchi's utilized out of the bullpen. I, I think that's one of the sexiest answers. I, I think I made it pretty clear that if it was up to me, if I was deciding these things, and I, I don't know as much as they do, like, when you're talking about the up-and-down command and some of the sketchy Kikuchi starts, like, I get it. I, I understand his track record as a player, but if I was just... And I know that you shouldn't do the whole, like, lining up for the next series thing, right? Like, that's stupid. But I just thought that it was kind of a nice mesh of the now and the future. If you were up a game in the series, uh, like you throw Kikuchi out there and you feel better about having a good righty out against the Astros in the following series if they win. Like it just, 
I don't know. I, I looked at the splits. All of the numbers basically are saying pretty strongly that Yusei Kikuchi should have a meaningful impact in this series. And, like, even the way that he pitched against the Twins versus the way these other guys did, like, I, I get it. It was in May, it was earlier in the year. Some of the, like, it just, it, there's a pretty strong and compelling case that Yusei Kikuchi should be starting one of these games and that, yes, he shouldn't be just some bit player in it, that he shouldn't just end up being some one-inning guy. And I also think there's a big question mark to, like, if we're talking about routines and a guy who has struggled with some of those issues, like, what does his routine, how does that impact things? How does he look coming out of a bullpen? Like, so, no, I, I think that, honestly, when, when this thing's all said and done, if the Blue Jays lose, it's very likely that it's because one of those righties got shelled. And I, I think that the conversation that you're curious about right now or the... Yeah, the player that you're curious about right now is going to be kind of front and center. Weirdly enough, after last year, that it's like, here we are in the playoffs in the, the big all-in season in 2023. And yeah, not using Yusei Kikuchi might end up being kind of like the thing fans nitpick with the most. Yeah, and his like routines in between outings are extremely structured yeah. and uh, extremely lengthy. Uh, and he is somebody who is like very much about his rituals and his habits and how he goes about things. So it'd be interesting to see, yeah, how much notice they want to give him, like how the Blue Jays kind of put him in the best position to be successful. There's also like a very real possibility here that Meza and Cabrera both each throw in the first two games of this series, just because mm -hmm. of the lefty matchups. Like those mm -hmm. guys are so important, particularly if you need to get somebody out of the jam. Um, I don't know if I'd want to bring Kikuchi in with runners on in the middle of an no. inning, you know, rush them to get ready. So Meza and Cabrera are those guys I could easily see them pitching both on Tuesday and Wednesday. And then if there's a game three, you you know, have you used Kikuchi yet? Have you not? Does he become that guy? How do you feel about the way that Cabrera would bounce back after back-to-backs? Would he have the same velocity in the same location? I'm pretty sure we've seen Mays on three straight days. I don't think we've seen it from Cabrera. Like how the lefties are used, how Kikuchi fits in to those left that lefty relief picture to me, it's a, a really interesting question that I just have no idea how it, how it will play out. Dude, it's huge. And that's why like, it feels weird to say it. But that when you were talking about, hey, the other pitcher that this team should have brought, right? Like if you were talking about like the benefits of Cam Eden versus who, was it Ryu? It wouldn't have been Ryu for okay. me. It probably would have been Bowden Francis. All right. Uh, could have made a case for Nate Pearson. I would have just thought maybe Ryu, you're trying to do a similar thing. Like if you're going second time through, right? In, in a spot where there you have a lefty that you say, hey, we're, we're removing Bassett, right? After two times through the order, you're in a tight game. We're going to give uh, Ryu two innings here rather than have it be Kikuchi. This is no shade against Ryu, who, is yeah. like, who was huge this year and was huge over the last four. He has not looked particularly competitive his last couple of times out. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think he's probably thrown his last pitch as a Toronto Blue Jay too bad i think he'll be around the team and everyone likes having him around huge vibes guy but as far as somebody who i'm throwing in a playoff series hmm. right now most important games of the season i would take a, a francis or a pearson over Ryu. damn so i guess that kind of answers whether you think they're going to pursue him in free agency this year right like whether he would be amenable to resigning or the club would be amenable to bringing him back and the last couple outings have left a, a bit of a tough taste in you know, the mouth in terms of how effective he can still be at this level. We'll see. Like mm -hmm. You certainly don't rate the guy off. The Blue Jays have a price on everyone. They have a value on everyone. And if the value works out and the other opportunities don't make sense, I'm sure the Blue Jays will go down that road. But right now, I'm not expecting him to come back to the Blue Jays. All right, man. 
uh, well, go and uh, take care of your, all your clubhouse duties. And, uh, yeah, make sure you don't accidentally step on Carlos Correa's foot, you know? Like, be careful as you walk around there, right? I will. Will right. do. See you, brother. Cheers, buddy. Arden's Welling, reporter for the Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, well, for Sportsnet. Jays reporter for Sportsnet. He's in Minnesota. Okay, so that didn't make me feel better. <laughs> All that did was make you feel worse. But th- th- this is what it is, right? The Twins are a red-hot offense, and they're kind of built to mash these Blue Jays pitchers. And if you're a bit of a cynic, the cynic in you would say, boy, um, the Jays had some really good regular season pitchers plus one ace, a good bounce back season. But this was always like, if we were doing the, is Kikuchi going to pitch a playoff game? I think that was one of the biggest question marks looming over this baseball team all year, which was without Manoa, without having your clear one, two going into the postseason, what was it going to look like in a series like this? To me personally, I get everything they're saying about Kikuchi and the command, but for, if he is this much a routine guy, which I was also talking to people about yesterday, like, hey, is Kikuchi going to be an easy go-to-the-bullpen guy? And people have their doubts about that. If it was me, I would have thought, you know what? Chris Bassett, you got rocked by this team this year. Rocked. Com- completely obliterated. And these guys crush righties. You're our vet. We need you to be kind of the guy who can maintain all of his composure and just be there for everybody else and is there to step into a game if something goes wrong. And then you're ready to start and you get the ball game one against whoever the next opponent would be should the Blue Jays advance. Because that is what you're playing for. Like I get the whole, like it to me was just perfect symmetry between these two things. But when I'm looking at Bassett's road splits, which again, 450 ERA on the road. It's a guy who finished with a 360 ERA on the season. It's, it's hard to ignore that. It was almost 100 innings pitched. Almost half of his innings were on the road this year. And he was not nearly as effective. The Twins mashed him. The Twins mash righties. They kind of struggle against lefties. And Bassett has tough splits against left-handed hitting. Uh, <sighs> This is a, I'm a gut guy. I'm, so good for John Schneider for having this conviction. Good for the Blue Jays for kind of taking this position. But weirdly, I've been trying to figure out the way to communicate this properly. It's, it's the safe choice optically, right? You go, hey, who are the Blue Jays' three pitchers in the series? Well, they're the three best guys. They're the one, two, and three best guys. But if you dig, like, if you just scratch beyond the surface, like a, barely a pinky finger, right? One knuckle. One knuckle below the surface, it kind of is a much more compelling case to go, hey, let them see a lefty in the middle of the series. Let them see Kikuchi in two. I don't like Barrios in three. I just said it. I think that Barrios can be a... I'm going to talk to Marco Estrada today, all right? Like, I'm going to have Marco Estrada on the show. He's one of the most clutch performers in my lifetime. Everybody I've ever seen, it's like... In, in Toronto sports pantheon of who's clutch. Like Kawhi is one, right? It's Kawhi. He's the number one most clutch guy. Last is every single Maple Leaf. And then two might be Marco Estrada. And so I am going to talk to him about clutch. I'm going to talk to him about some of these things, but 
Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of don't want Barrios in a game three, but I would sacrifice that and have him kind of sitting there as a guy facing his former team, very comfortable in that stadium, knows that group of players well. I think I would have had him three and gone Kikuchi two. And then with Bassett right behind him and said, the first sign of Kikuchi trouble, like Bassett, get ready. Be, be ready. You're there. We're not going to go to a bullpen game. We're going to have you in there. That's just the way that I would have done it. And so I think Arden's right in terms of, hey, what's the biggest questions of the series? Well, one is how big a factor is the Blue Jays defense going to be? Because this is a team that's predicated around that. How big of a difference is their bullpen going to be? Because those are the two big shifts, right? They, t- they traded Teoscar Hernandez for a bullpen arm. They traded their number one playoff offensive piece from last year for a guy that could end up pitching a seventh, maybe an eighth inning at some point in the series. So he's kind of got to be massive. The bullpen has to be massive. If Gossman goes two times through the order, is Schneider going to do the same thing as he did a year ago, which is lift this guy? Does it actually make more sense? He's in a, he's in a tough spot. He is in a genuinely tough spot when it comes to Gossman tonight because of the record against Minnesota, the numbers against Minnesota. But if Gossman is cruising and he's about to t- see them the third time through and it's a tight, it's a one run game. It's a tie ball game. What, what do you do in that spot? If you're John Schneider, do you, because you have a better bullpen, do you go back? Do you say we're lifting Gossman early and open yourself up to two years in a row, potentially blowing games. Cause you took your ACE out. Or do you follow the numbers and say, damn, we got through this and now we have the better bullpen. This is probably the, the smarter choice. This is the, the Kevin Cash gets killed for his Blake Snell decision choice, but it's backed up analytically. Going to be a lot of pressure in that moment. Anyway, I'm going to take a quick break. We got Marco Strada coming up. I, I want to say 10. It's so hard not to say 10 when you do the nine o'clock slot. This is a absolute nightmare for me. That, that I, Kikuchi, I get it. It's hard. It's hard to change your routine, man. I, I, I woke up this one. I did not know what to do with my day. I'm just sitting there kind of like adding a couple more notes to the doc, trying to figure out a stat or two. Now I'm overwhelmed with stats. Every stat is bad for the Jays. <laughs> I can't find good stats for the Jays. Someone showed me good stats for the Jays other than my, you know, their record in three run or less games. Anyway, quick break. Let's come back. I'm going to give you a betting pick for the series and then we'll do Marco Estrada. Right at 1 o'clock, 1 p.m. Eastern time. Blue Jays play off baseball today, baby. Let's go. Sportsnet 590, the fan. You know that I love a wager. So just a couple quick picks. I'm going to do Marco Estrada at the other side of this break. And then I, I have to give some thoughts on the Raptors media day yesterday. I'm sorry. It's a Blue Jays game day, Blue Jays playoff day. Nice try, Raptors, with the way that you tried to bury yesterday. That was an wild. That was a wild. What happened to the Raptors? So I got lots of thoughts and a little bit of audio for, to close the show today. Okay, a couple quick things that stuck out to me. Well, first of all, this is just an interesting one. No, presented without comment. Gossman, his outs is 15 and a half. For those of you that want to wonder, it's like they're saying, hey, just get over five innings. If you have faith in the Blue Jays, I think that's kind of a must play. If you have faith that Gossman's going to bounce back, I think that's a must play. That being said, I am going to bet the under in this game and especially going to bet the live under in this game. If one of the pitchers gives up a couple of runs early, I'm just going to be monitoring it. I think both teams have incredible bullpens. Both teams have bullpens that are suited to shut the other one down. And, and I just think that, yeah, this is all going to be kind of a in-game play where maybe you want to see what Gossman looks like. Maybe you want to see 
how Pablo Lopez performs to start this game because the Jays are actually sneaky pretty good against him this year too, like just for all the Henry and Belk Gossman. So all I got to say is I think today, tonight is going to be a live play for me. And then I am taking the under because it's a plus number. It's plus 110 on Gossman strikeouts tonight. So yeah, maybe not a ton of positive Blue Jay stuff I was looking at. Maybe some Bobochet numbers because he had some pretty damn good success against Pablo Lopez this year. I think that it's a pitcher that kind of profiles well for Bo. But that's kind of where I'm looking tonight is potentially fading a little bit of Gossman given his track record against the Twins on the strikeouts. And then I probably have to play the Blue Jays money line just because, you know, I'm sicko. And I just got to bet the home team. Then they're this home team. They're on the road, but you know what I'm saying. Anyway, let's take a quick break. Let's come back to Circle Marco Estrada. Grab a spoon. Time to steal your nerves. And who better to talk to about that than, like I said, right behind Kawhi in terms of the pantheon of my clutch Toronto athletes, Marco Estrada, former Jays All-Star and pitcher. What's up, brother? How are we doing? Good. How are you? Thanks I'm, for having me. Hey, no sweat. Hey, you, I was actually talking to a buddy right before you decided to come, or right after you decided to come on. I was like, you know, it must be nice being the guy that people call with like, hey, the city, a city, a country needs somebody to talk to about you know, being clutch and having steel nerves in big games, right? Like, that's a good legacy. I appreciate that. I get more nervous doing these interviews than I do pitching, honestly. <laughs> yeah, of course. Who doesn't? Like, of course. Of course, of course, of course. It is so wild, though, even looking at, like, every once in a while you get so used to a baseball game and people talk about, like, the fear of public speaking. And, you know, if I have to, you know, hit like a golf shot in front of people quietly or a basketball shot in an open gym where people are all, like, quiet and looking at me, you just freeze up and you go, holy crap, people are all staring at me. And then when you just, again, as a baseball watcher, you just lose sight of it. But then when they do the zoom out of just a pitcher alone on a mound, deciding the entire game, the hopes of, yeah, an entire country, it's like, yeah, the, the pressure in these things is immense. So you are the guy to talk to today, man. And I am just going to kind of start with it is what is what, like, what is clutch to you? Uh, I mean, what is clutch to me? It's obviously someone that can perform in, in on the big stage. Um, obviously, sometimes these lights can get a little bright during playoffs, and uh, some people can handle it. Some people embrace it. Uh, I think people that embrace it, are, you know, and, and go out and perform. And it's not like you have to have a complete game or mm-hmm. something crazy like that. But, you know, you, you show that none of this is bothering you and you embrace it. You take it all in and you perform like you can. Do you think that there was something about you in particular that made that easier? Um, honestly, there was, uh, you know, I, I was excited for every single start of my career, but there was something completely different about a playoff. And, uh, you know, the, adrenaline that kicks in i i like needed that mm. and i could never get that adrenaline during the season unless it was a game that like they all matter obviously but if it's mm-hmm. to, to get into a playoff spot or something where it's a little more meaningful i lived for those days and uh and that's what playoffs did for me it gave me that much more adrenaline i was fully alert um, and I feel like it just made me focus more. Hmm. That's interesting because like, yeah, usually when people talk about clutch, it's like, Hey, how do you just make sure that a moment doesn't get to you at all? Right. It's the ability to just 
make it seem routine, make it seem like it's the exact same thing. But for you, it seems like maybe that's something that wouldn't be, uh, I guess, universal with other athletes is that they actually use that added pressure, that added adrenaline, like it worked in your favor, where I feel like for most people, if you're like, hey, what happened out there? It's like, I let the adrenaline, I let the moment get too big for me. Yeah, and I think some guys just, uh, you know, they feel that adrenaline and they let it take over. It, it, they try a little too hard where, for me, I, I took it just as another game, but just, uh, like I said, I was more alert, more adrenaline, um, but I was able to stay calm and cool, I guess. Um, but I, I really embraced that. And I, if, if I could have, I would have loved to pitch every single playoff game because that energy, hearing the fans, and I... I I don't know. I just, I loved all of it. Okay. This is an interesting one too. Cause like you did it on the home or you did it here at the Roger center and you also did it on the road. Again, you were six playoff outings with the blue Jays. You had five quality starts and you know, everybody I think remembers each and every one of them here, especially if like you're my age, you know, you're a guy who went, you know, eight and a third, eight, six, six and a third, seven and a third or seven and two thirds. Like, yeah, it's, it was just a lot of success. But was there a difference in terms of just the way that, the crowd did impact you then if you were a guy that was pitching on that adrenaline, like the Jays are on the road today. They're playing in a, I guess, yeah, a hostile environment, Minnesota, where, you know, they're dying for success. They're one in 18 in playoff games since 2004. Do you think that for most pitchers, that road atmosphere actually might be more useful in the sense of letting that adrenaline get to you? Yeah, because uh, it's going to be loud regardless. Mm -hmm. Um, So you just got to take that in with like the right way, I guess. Um, but regardless is I, I think today, especially in Minnesota, I think there'll be just as many blue Jay fans out there to be honest. Um, it, it's just every time we would go to Minnesota that, you know, blue Jay fans would travel very well. And I, I can't imagine there not being that many there today. Um, they, it couldn't even be a 50, 50 type thing. God, but, I, hope uh, that's the, I hope that it, it's close. I hope so too, and I, I think it will be. I, I, I mean, like I said, every time we go to Minnesota, um, a lot of Blue Jays fans would show up. It's not like uh, Seattle; like that's nuts. That's mm-hmm. a whole other story. But uh, but still, they drew really well there. Um, but yeah, re- regardless whether you're home or away, uh, especially during the playoffs, you're going to have fans on your side. Um, but you also, you know, use the all the screaming and all that from the opposing team fans, uh, you, you take it in and, and I don't know, it, it would give me, uh, not a, maybe a little more adrenaline also, but, um, it would make me want to pitch better just mm-hmm. to shut everybody up. And I, I love that when, especially when we would go to Texas, mm-hmm. everybody's screaming, yelling at us. And my job was to make sure, that stadium got a little more quiet <laughs> and, uh, and, and you knew it by the fourth, fifth inning, it, it would be silent other than our fans screaming and yelling. Yeah. See, this that was is, always my favorite thing is being on the road and silencing the crowd. See, that's my favorite thing. It's like today uh, it's excruciating for blue Jays fans, right? Like 
There's, there's nothing more stressful as a fan than playoff baseball. It's just like every pitch you're just sitting there like, why do I? The, the amount of times that I've had either a baseball fan say to me or that I've said to someone else watching a game, either there on the couch or in a bar or whatever, it's just like, why do we do this? Why do we do this? It's like for that, for what you just said, for when it was like, shut up, Texas, that feels good. <laughs> you know, that, that's what it's for is that moment of relief and that exhilaration of beating the teams that you hate the most in those meaningful moments. And so, yeah, I, I wonder, okay, this is a little bit of a, a, a weirder one. But I just wonder how a team like Minnesota, like I said, with that record since 04, right? One in 18 in playoffs since 2004. And you guys on the 2015 team, you'd had this long playoff drought that the Blue Jays had had. I don't know how much it ever gets discussed amongst players, but when things start to go poorly, like that's why the bat flip meant so much to so many people here is not only was it a great moment, but it was a feeling like, holy crap, we're not cursed. Like our baseball team is not cursed. There's something that was just kind of unleashed throughout this entire city that night. Do you feel like that weighs on a team like Minnesota? Like, do you feel like if things start to go poorly for them, that does start to build up in the players' heads like, oh, of course this is happening. We're the twins. No, I, uh, you know, when, when we were there in 15, 16, I, I never looked back and said, man, this seems been on a drought. I haven't been in the playoffs since. Uh, and, you know, I, I just never took any of that in. It, it's a new year, whole new team. I mean, it, it none of that stuff matters before. Um, and I, I never thought about it. I don't know if other players do, and I don't think they do. Um, but especially in 15, looking at our team, trust me, that was the last thing on our mind. We knew we had the team to go far and uh, obviously got cut a little short. But, uh, yeah, we, we were – we never thought about any of that stuff in the, in the past. Well, again, we're talking to Marco Estrada, um, who in 41 and two-thirds innings pitched in the postseason for the Blue Jays. Spots a 2.16 ERA with a .74 whip. Uh, pretty good. Uh, okay, so I was kind of hoping you were going to say, yeah, the Twins are going to be feeling it. They're going to hate it. They're going to they're gonna know that this is happening to them. Because, um, yeah, I'm hoping that they don't really have a big advantage at home. Um, so going back to 2016, you guys are back in the playoffs, right? You're coming off an all-star season. How, how different was the team from 2015 to 2016, just in terms of the way that you remember approaching the playoffs? And obviously, like, you're going into a wildcard game, so it's a do-or-die situation. But I just mean, like, did you feel as though guys were more confident or maybe there was a little less pressure given that you had been to the playoffs the season before and now this was a group that was returning for the second time, kind of like this Blue Jays team? Yeah, 100%, because there's a lot of guys on that 15 team that had never seen the playoffs. Yeah. Um, so no one really knew what to expect, the crowds, how loud it gets. And, and you know, a lot of actually a lot of guys, younger guys would ask me what it was like because I had been to the playoffs before, and I, I would tell them it, it is different. It's completely different, but it's a lot of fun. You guys should just embrace the crowd and, and the brighter lights and everything. Um, but going into 16 – all these guys had experience and it was good experience. I mean, we, we went far, just didn't complete it, but uh, everybody got their feet wet and knew what to expect. Um, so I do believe the confidence was a little bit higher in 16. Um, so it, it helps. It helps to have some experience on your feet and just knowing what to expect. Uh, but, you know, in 16, we, we had that experience. Didn't have a team like like fifteen. Fifteen, I thought, was the team, the team to do it all, and and it, it sucks waking up and not seeing a ring on my finger <laughs> uh, because 
I've talked about this before, how I had a dream before my that game five against Kansas City, waking up with a ring on my finger, and I was so excited. And once that game was done, I was like, oh, my God, that, that was it. That was the sign. We just won today. We're going to go into their place. We're going to win mm. and take over. And, man, it, it still hurts. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it's double. It's like you don't have the ring, and you were proven that you weren't psychic. It was like a tough double blow, you know. You're like, and I could have really used those psychic powers for good. I really could have got. Yeah, I could have had even more monetary gain. Okay, so Kikuchi's moving to the pen, and he's a big ritual guy as a starter. Like, very known for yeah the way he prepares going into a game. H- how tough do you think a shift is going to be for a guy like that, where they're asking you to potentially come in? Um, I don't know if they'll put him in a situation where there's base runners on, but just one where he doesn't get that same routine and he's not sure when he's actually going to be pitching. I'm sure if he were to come in, it'd be clean inning, yeah. fresh inning, nobody on. Nobody. I mean, you have to. It's Especially if he's never done it before, you can't just throw a guy in the eighth inning, you know, bases loaded, two out. Like, that's not a situation for him. Um let him get his feet wet first, give him an inning or two, and then if he's comfortable and he shows that he's comfortable, then you can maybe start using him in a little bit higher leverage situations because obviously you're going to need him. He's a big arm and a great pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not easy. It's not easy. Um, I I was lucky enough to have done both early on in my career. You know, I started in the pen got thrown in as a starter to Mm -hmm. fill in for someone, then back to the pen. So I knew what to expect. Um, So in 15, I I was asked if, you know, after I had pitched, after I had started, I was asked if I could still give them an inning or two in the pen the next day or the day after. And I always said, yeah. So a lot of the times I was in the bullpen just waiting for my spot, but I knew what to expect. Um, and I also had a, a big routine that I'd like to go over, but you just, it, you can't, you got to change it. Um, it, it, the pen's completely different. You have to have a killer mentality mm. where as a starter, you kind of, you, you don't want to cruise, but you kind of do like, it, it's completely different. You don't want to go in and, and give everything you have the first in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got to tell you that scared me a little bit just in terms of, I think about you being ready and I'm like, yep, that makes sense. I, yeah, some of the other guys that might get put in that situation on this team right now. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Um, okay, so Gossman has really struggled against the Twins in his career. He's got a 6.35 ERA and 11 starts against the Twins. And yeah, uh, 5.70 in six outings at Target Field. Like this is a guy who is an ace. This is someone who has clearly established himself as one of the better pitchers in Major League Baseball. But did did you have a team like that? Like a team where you just felt like, damn, I, I can't figure these guys out. Every time I pitch against them, they they just find a way. And yeah, how does that? One hundred percent. Everybody has a team. <laughs> Who's your team? And and yeah, how did you? How did that fight with you psychologically? Yeah, you know, in when I was with uh, Milwaukee, St. Louis was that team for me. Um, no matter how well I pitched that day, just something would happen and it, it wouldn't go right. And um, it was early on in my career, so I, I knew in the back of my head that this was a team that just gets to me every time, and I would think about it a little bit. And as I, you know, had a couple of years in the major leagues, then all of that stuff, you you learn to you have to let it go. It's a new day, new team, you know. So I'd let it go, and you know, I went back and pitched against them with Toronto, and you know, never thought about it. Did well. Um, 
But then same thing with Toronto. Uh, you know, my first two years with Toronto, Tampa was, you know, I, I loved pitching against them. And then I don't know what they picked up on me. I could not get anybody out after that. Um, but I wouldn't think about it. I, I, I just, I was, you know, I had more service time and knew the mental aspect of baseball and how you have to be mentally strong and, and you have to literally forget about those bad outings mm. by the next day. So, you know, I, I wouldn't really think about that stuff anymore. So, and, and Gosman's vision today, he, he's incredible. I don't think any of that stuff matters. He's too good to, he's been around the league enough. I, I know he's not thinking about it. Um, I think he's going to have a great game today. I, I can't wait. Uh, to watch him pitch man I, I hope so like uh because yeah their playoff hopes are really riding on him having a really great game today not taxing that bullpen too much and yeah just letting toronto put their best foot forward and putting the pressure on minnesota to win two straight games but yeah he's got uh 50 or sorry a 43 percent whiff rate on his splitter this season but against the twins and it's only two starts but that whiff rate was 25 percent and like you're a guy who I think could very much relate to Gossman in that you guys both have one of like you both had one of the best pitches in baseball, right? You with the changeup. And I wonder what it what it's like for you, how difficult it is when you feel like the team, the other team, your opponent is is on your pitch, where they've figured something out about your pitch. Yeah, there wasn't um, a lot of times I would feel that way, but obviously it did happen. And uh, like I said, with Tampa, it just felt like they knew when I would I would be throwing it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if my changeup was on that day, it, it just didn't yeah. matter. But yeah. mo- most of the times when, you know, or some of the times where I it just wasn't quite on, it did feel like they were all over every single one. And I don't know if I was tipping or or what, but it, it, it's frustrating. And, uh, you know, sometimes your best pitch isn't always going to work, but you have to stay with it because it is your best pitch and it's what got you to where you are. Um, and then obviously you mix in other pitches, pitches that like for me, it was my curveball or cutter. No one really expected me to throw any of those. Cause it was basically fastball chained up, but, uh, that's what I would do. I would mix in a curveball or cutter once in a while, just to get the guys off those other pitches and uh and then you always you, you got to stick with your guns you never had the curiosity to ask guys like yeah once the seasons were over once the yeah career was over like hey oh, yeah no I asked. I asked and i was told there there was something yeah. uh but they would never tell me what it was yeah oh so they would just that's even worse <laughs> they would that's say, even worse yeah, yeah. to this day I, I don't know what it was and uh i was told th- well because i would ask while i was playing Oh, okay. Yeah. That's you got, yeah. you got to go back. You got to ask somebody, you know, and be like, I, Hey, you have to go back. You're right. Yeah. yeah. That's that. I, I would never sleep. Like, <laughs> it does bother me. So I just want to know what it is. And I think I know what it was. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, it, it was this thing I had with like, obviously your grip is completely different, but I think my wrist with a fastball would be up higher and with a changeup, it'd be lower. Um, but uh, yeah, man, it's crazy what guys pick up. I was just gonna it's say, crazy. That's that's just that's so unfair. It's like, yeah, I think my wrist was a few centimeters higher, and it's yeah. my fault. <laughs> like, oh my god, that's oh, psychotic. Man. That's you know what though? That's the thing with Gossman that worries me a little bit about today is, yeah, if if they're just not 
if they're not swinging over top of that splitter today, like if, if they're just sitting there, they're taking their walks, they're forcing them to work deep in accounts, how that starts to build up in your mind. Like you said, you got to stick with your pitch, right? And, and we've seen them do this before here in Toronto, where it's like the other teams picked something up. It's happened a couple of times against a couple of teams and he has to keep going with it because that's just who he is. But then when they're sitting fastball on Gossman, even though it's 95, like, yeah, the other teams are probably going to catch up on it. They're going to draw a few more walks like they have against him. I just feel like the frustration of that is what is probably harder to forget than anything. You know, like the frustration of wondering what the hell it is has to just gnaw at you. Yeah. And it could just be, you know, when you face that team, you just miss your spots. Cause I think that's the most important thing. Even if guys do know what's coming, you hit your spots and, uh, you're going to be okay. Um, I, I saw a report where, you know, when the Astros had that whole ordeal mm-hmm. going on um, it, when they cheated. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say yeah, but, but their ordeal. Uh, oh, just a little ordeal that they were having. <laughs> but, uh, I saw a report. I don't know if the Jays did or someone did it where uh, they heard the whistle or trash can or whatever it was uh, 20 something times off of me, which were all chain nips Mm -hmm. and they had zero hits off of it. So they knew it was coming, but no hits were, were had, which is crazy. Right? So now it's like, all right, well, I just located my pitch. Because hitting is obviously really hard to do. And if I think if you just locate your pitch, whether they know what's coming or not, you're, the pitchers usually are a little more successful than the other. Yeah, that's another great stat. Like, hey, the Astros cheating couldn't even hit it. Ouch. That's that's a good one. Like, that's a really good one. <laughs> I I would, yeah, that, that's a good one to, like, pull out at a party. You know, like, two drinks in, you're like, you know the Astros never hit my changeup, even though they're bang on trash cans? Take a sip of the cocktail, walk away, go to the next group, tell that well, same story. Well, yeah, that, that year, yeah. Um, I don't know if it was 16, 17, but, uh, or 17, it had to have been 17. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I don't know how this, it was brought to my attention. I, I guess a friend saw it and he's like, dude, look yeah. at this. They didn't yeah. even get a hit off of it. And yeah. the news coming. Yeah. I'm like that's actually pretty cool. That is very cool. That's a great stat to have. And yeah, we found out that stuff because people went through and combed through the entire seasons on the internet and bless those people. But I will never understand those people. Like I'll never be able to comprehend the type of person that finds out that the Astros were cheating is like, all right, time to go through the tape. 162. Like yeah. start, start oh, it. I think that was a bang. All right. Write it down. <laughs> Not to, next right. pitch. Like whoever did it, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. We needed you oh, so that it, we would I, get I, this I, stat. Yeah. yeah, if, if you could find insane. up that stat or, like, who accumulated that for you, it's like, yeah, that was worth a present, you know? Like, that's worth a present from you to them just for, just to own that personal statistic because that is a damn good one. Okay, so last one. Do you like this new wildcard format? Um, You know what? I haven't even thought about it. Uh, so they added two teams, right? Yeah, and just, like, now it's a series because you guys in 2016, it's like, hey, this is for all the marbles. And I don't know, I went to the game in 2016 and I, I, I don't know where I'm at with it, to be honest. Like, I kind of like that it's, it feels more like playoffs, that it's a series. It feels less like a novelty, I guess. Like your team, it's a little right. less random. You are going to win. But if we're talking about it from the pure, just winning your in, awesome baseball game and being guaranteed that, I don't know. Like 2016, yeah. we're like obviously bat flip night, but then number two is 
yeah, just the, the exhilaration and the pressure of being at that game and how I went from feeling like I wanted to puke and I hated my life to it was the most, yeah, happy I think I've ever been. <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah, close. there's obviously a lot more pressure on yeah. one game. You know, it's one game, go big or go home, but you throw your best, right? You throw yeah. your best starter, your best lineup, your best everything that day, and, and you give it your all. and it, It's incredible. Um, I do like that. Uh but what I don't like about the new format is the the teams that have a bye week. I mean, it, it's an entire week, and I think that's unfair. I mean, that's a long time to go away without seeing live pitching or, you know, because you can't mimic. As much as you want to hit batting practice and, and go out and practice little bullpens, you cannot mimic a game. It, it's impossible. The adrenaline isn't there. None of that stuff's there. Uh, so I think they are a bit – they have a bit of a disadvantage. Um, and I don't know if a lot of people are talking about that, but no. that's the only thing I don't like. I, I think it's cool that more teams are in it. Um, you know, more, more fans can, can watch more baseball, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the, 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 the teams with the bye week they, that's, that's gotta be tough. You know what it is, man, is that we now live in the era of like load management and athletes pitching less or playing less, is mostly viewed as just like an overwhelming positive thing, right? Like the rest versus rust era that used to be like a debate. And now it's just like, especially here in Toronto, we had Kawhi. (laughs) Like we're the number one, we're the capital of don't play anybody. Like nobody play any sports until it's this meaningful moment. Then we'll, you know, max it out. But yeah, I think that's, that's a lot of it is that we, we're all sports scientists now on the outside. And so whenever we see you guys are resting, we're like, nice, this is great. This is what we want to see. Not you playing. That's really where it's at. Yeah, I, I don't understand it. It's not the I, era I grew up in, and no. it, it's completely different. I, I don't understand it. I probably never will. But if, if I don't, I just don't understand people listening to a computer and telling you what should be done and what shouldn't. Like the guy should tell you. You know, like me, I was always the guy that uh, wanted to be on schedule. I didn't want the extra day. Uh, I hate it when they would move the rotation around. I hate it. Like, listen, it's my day to pitch. I'm ready. I want that day. And that's it. I've prepared this entire week for the, the you know, the four days before for this. And now you want to take that tomorrow away from me to move me, you know, two days later. Mm-hmm. And like, it just changes everything for me. And I, I didn't like it, but they, you know, they would tell me, well, you know, it says that this is this will be beneficial and blah blah. It was it was obviously at the end of my career, and it happened actually with Oakland. Um, I begged them not to move me, and they decided to move me, and it, it just made things worse. And uh, it, I mean, I only got to pitch five games there, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm a guy that just likes to be on schedule and know when I'm pitching, and I want to keep playing. I don't want time off. You know, but I guess it's different now. Yeah. Uh, It just must be so tough for a manager too. Like I think about, yeah, guys in clubhouses who have to try to balance those two things where they've got the khakis who are telling them one thing and then they know that they've got to approach you later and how it's going to affect you as a human being and that they're with you every single day. Like, you know, they don't see you as numbers. They see you as like a person. I I can imagine having to do that because you're right. You, you are in the clubhouse with all the players and the players are going to tell you one thing, but Mm -hmm. what would you call them? The khakis? Yeah. (laughs) They're going to tell you a completely different thing. So, and man, that's you're, you're in the middle, you know? Yeah. It's just like, yeah, balanced somehow, but that's hard. 
The worst too is that you have to admit a lot, like sometimes when they're right, you, know, you have to be like, damn it. <laughs> like that computer nailed it. They nailed it on this computer. They put me into an algorithm and now it's only like getting better and better. Right. And then, but for the most part. Well, yes. Oh. But like, all right. So also the yeah. whole shifting thing. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah. I wanted guys playing normal position well, now because it's if someone it. hit it up the middle, it's probably a rocket. It should be a hit. I don't care. Mm-hmm. It was the 20 hoppers that, you know, went right to second base and nobody's there. That drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would always ask infielders, can you guys just play normal? If something's hit up the middle, I don't care. Let it be a hit. It's fine. The guy did what he was supposed to. I'd rather that than see someone hit a weak ground ball to short and nobody's there because you're playing up the middle now. Did guys listen to you? Um, for that? No, one, no one would ever listen to me. Oh, they know. <laughs> no, no, they, they, they were just like, me, no, well, we're still. Know, the manager's telling us this, or the infield yeah. coach is telling us we have to. So, uh-huh. sorry, but. I would have just thought with the Jays team, since you guys were like a little bit more mature and secure, like, you know, you have a Tulowitzki behind you and you're like, dude, like, help me out. He's like, yeah, I'm not really worried about them benching me. <laughs> I'll probably. Yeah, he was, he was one of the few guys you could tell, and exactly what you said, like, no one's going to tell him anything, so yeah. he, he would move it, and he would get to so many balls. He, yeah. he, you know, he's so good at short, and um, it was fun watching him play there. But, uh, yeah, it was tough. But, again, you know, I wasn't really a ground ball pitcher anyway, so yeah. it doesn't matter. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Hey, man, this was fun catching up. It always is, like I said. Now, it, number two most clutch strong athlete in my lifetime behind Kawhi. It's not a bad thing to be behind Kawhi. Like, he was good. I don't know if he <laughs> basketball, but he was pretty damn good here. Oh, yeah. He was very good, yeah. yeah. Now, I would watch those games uh, when, you know, when they have their runs and stuff. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I still watch, you know, I, I, I've been watching the Blue Jays yeah. ever since I retired. And I still consider myself one of them. Uh, I, I actually got to see them when they went to LA and went inside the clubhouse, talked to a few of the guys. And, um, you know, I, I, I still talk to Pete Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I literally just messaged him an hour or two ago. So he, uh, I still, I still know people there and it's, it's always great seeing them. So I, I consider myself a blue Jay probably for life and I, I'll probably always watch the games. Buddy, what are you talking about? Obviously. Like, yeah, you think you're an A? Like, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> no. what are you talking about? Like, of course, you're a Blue Jay. We claim you. That's not a, that's not up for debate. You're not a Brewer. You're a Blue Jay. Like, you go to any oh, All-Star no. games with the Brewers? Like, no, man, you're a Blue Jay. Like, all your biggest moments, you're Blue Jays. Like, that's not up for debate. Like, how dare you even you almost say it? <laughs> no, no, I, I just meant I still, I, I, I I'm just follow kidding. them pretty, pretty strong. Yeah. 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 You, you like their chances in the series? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's good to know. See, that made me feel better. This whole day has been making me feel worse. I get worse and worse the closer we get to first pitch. That made me feel better hearing it from you. Hey, man, thanks for the time today. It's always a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Good talking to you guys. Of course, buddy. Marco Estrada. There he goes. Uh, yes, one of the most clutch players, I think, in this city's recent history. Can't go back and talk about, you know, George Armstrong. Sure, he was very clutch. I didn't see it. I can't really speak to the 92 guys. I'm sorry. I was a child. In my adult life, actually knowing sports, that guy was cold-blooded. And I like hearing him talk about it, where it's, that's it. Some guys, 
that's really, we always try to define clutch, but really that's what it is. It's like some guys can just get that adrenaline and it doesn't overwhelm them. Don't start to throw too hard, like you said, not trying too hard, not missing their spots. It was hard not to think about David Price when he was saying some guys try too hard and some guys, and I was like, yeah, I know who. I remember who. We all remember who. But yeah. Can Gossman. I think, here's what I will say. I think Gossman is that kind of guy. I think Gossman is clutch. We saw it last year. I just think he's one of those dudes that can maintain his level in these spots. It's just a question about that frustration, whether or not the twins have something on him and if that something still exists. Because if they're not swinging on that splitter, I'm sorry, that percentage drop-off is too much for it to just to be like, these guys are so good. This is the game plan. Mm, I think they got a thing. And I hope for Marco's sake that he finds out exactly what the wrist being, but that's to know that that's the, the minute detail that can screw you out of being regarded like Marco is in the city or being viewed as a choker. Oh, gross. It almost makes me feel bad for calling guys chokers. Not really, but kind of like a little tiny bit. Anyway, I got to take a break because I got to talk about the Raptors yesterday because I was, they, they, you can't get bare. You can't. Nice try, Raptors. Nice try. That's next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Okay, this is a weird thing to say because I'm by myself. I only have like 15 minutes to talk about the Raptors yesterday, and I, I don't know if it's enough. Hand up. I 100% read too much into Media Day content. I always do. I am that guy. I am that psycho. I, I own it. Some days I'm wrong. Some days I, I see a media conference. I, I take some stuff away because I'm in the content game. And I, I got to have an opinion on something. It's not really that fun to come on radio or podcast, whatever, and say, well, you know, I didn't think that was anything. That's boring. I'll leave that to the writers. Go read the article. Leave that to the Twitter people who just want to never say anything interesting. I usually take it too much, but then later I go, ugh, I regret that. Cringe. That's really cringy, some of those takes. I'll read the YouTube comment and go, that person's right about me. I am as garbage as they think I am. I'm wrong. Raptors media day yesterday, I will not apologize for the ways that it made me feel. So just to explain sort of a little bit my day, because I'm not down there, right? I'm not there. JD, you're reading the quotes. Guys are misquoted. Guys, read a, it's out of context. Fine, oh yes. But anyway, I'm reading the quotes. I'm going, this doesn't seem very good. I should watch these. Okay, I spend my afternoon watching them. Guess what? Didn't feel any better. Didn't feel any better. I saw Will Lou had an incredible interview with OG on his podcast. So go listen to the Raptors show podcast with Will Lou because it was an absolute 10 out of 10 banger episode yesterday. Can't wait for him, Blake, and Alex to all be together for this Raptors season. Like, truly, truly, the, like, the best podcasters possible when it comes to basketball on the same podcast for the Raptors. Just an unbelievable show. But that aside, that good content aside, I went, hmm, this is fairly interesting that it doesn't seem like there's a... Normally, when you go into a media day, right, they're PR'd up... I'm trying to think of the non-swears, all right? <laughs> they're, they're PR'd up. They got a lot of PR going. 
The public relations team is working overtime. Hey, these are the messages. These are what we're getting out here this day. Cool. Got it. Here's the messaging about our team. This is the branding of our team this year. So the Raptors just couldn't get on the same page because Masai, the voice of this team, who, by the way, can we just admit that, that we're seeing a different version of Masai Ujiri lately? Like, this is not the same Masai that used to sit up at the podiums and have the air of confidence of a dictator. Like, hey, whatever he says, that's gospel, baby. That's the gospel. Now with Masai, people are going, all right, see what the other guys have to say. He starts off with the quote, which is, boom, there will be no selfishness this year. All right. The tone has been set. There were reports about the Raptors last year. They didn't have chemistry. Masai had already said he didn't like watching this team play. This has been widely reported now that the Raptors didn't exactly, they weren't the best of buds. They weren't all hanging out the treehouse together and, you know, sharing stories. It was probably even worse than you think. Because most of these things, when they're put out publicly, when it gets out, people go, oh, it's probably bad. It's probably pretty damn bad if it's getting to your ears from that organization. Horrible season for the Raptors. Eliminated in a play-in game. They get a good bounce with their lottery pick and Grady Dick, hopefully. But that aside, like, Scotty Barnes had a tough year. Fred Van Vliet walked for absolutely nothing. They had a trade deadline that passed them by where they were rumored to be the centerpiece of the universe. They left trading a first-round pick to a player that they had to give $20 million to the following season. They lost in a playoff game because these guys couldn't handle a young girl yelling during free throws. Like, a nightmare of a year. A nightmare of a season. So Masai comes out and he says, there will be no selfishness this year. None, okay? Zero tolerance policy. We're playing like a team. We're trying to show the world what we can really do when we play like a team. When we're not, you know, five fingers, we're a fist. Got it. Cool. No selfishness this year. All right. So they took this to his star player, who, by the way, they have not started to negotiate a new contract with. Despite Fred Van Vliet leaving this team for nothing, and I shouldn't say, I, I hate when people go, he wasn't nothing, he played here for all this year. That's not how it works, okay? And it's not how it works, especially in this city when it comes to basketball players. I know we won a championship now. There's a little bit of difference. We got the Larry O'Brien on the jerseys now. That's a nice touch. It's a nice feeling. But I'd like to have another one of those someday. And the way that you get that is that you ensure that players don't just walk out the door and leave you completely empty-handed, especially when they're all-star point guards who people were talking about as some of the most critical or one of the most important pieces in this franchise's history in Fred Van Fleet. So now they've got OG, no contract. They've got Gary Trent Jr., no contract. And Pascal Siakam, no contract. All right. We're keeping the flexibility open, I guess. They're as flexible as can be. They're so flexible that they might lose all of their players. Anyway, the Raptors are just so frustrating. I'm sorry. But they bring the selfishness quote to Siakam, who is their leader, okay? This isn't Scotty Barnes' team yet. This is Pascal Siakam, a player who has been on the record when it comes to the importance to him of playing with joy and being happy. Here's Siakam on the selfishness. For me, I'll speak for me personally. Like, I've, I've never been a selfish player in my life. Um, always played the game the right way. Um, and, and, you know, that's from, from the first time I started playing basketball, you know, like just, I've always been a team player. Um, all the things that I do on the basketball court, you know, it's about team. And I feel like I've always made the right basketball play. Um, and, and when I'm out there on the court, like, you know, 
you know, sometimes it, it looks it looks like it, you know it, it could it could look it could look different because I, I feel like I always have two people on me every time I'm on the court. So sometimes it might look like you shoot over two people, but it is what it is. Um, but but I think that yeah, like I've always played the game the right way. Like I'm, I've, I don't have any like ounce ounce of selfishness in me, and and um and and I just I just want to continue to do that. Yeah. Okay. So you've talked about the team being too selfish and they could say, which they probably would as a PR spin would go, is that, well, we didn't mean selfishness as a person or a player. We meant it more as a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Siakam did go, I could see, he said, quote, I could see it. I think we got to have better chemistry and understanding playing with each other better, end quote. That was like him basically trying to clarify like, oh yeah, I'm not going in uh, complete defiance of Masai Ujiri. But that's a, that's a pretty strong defense, okay? It's a guy repeating over and over that he's not a selfish basketball player. That's the leader of your team who is essentially, I, I don't want to say he's refuting the message of the president, but he's saying that he is not a part of whatever this issue is. And like for a team that was rumored to be fractured at times between the young and the old players, it's especially interesting that when they went to the future face of the franchise, and they talked about this exact thing, the selfishness of the basketball team, because again, this was the theme that ran through the entire day. This was Scotty Barnes's answer on it. I would say it's an energy drainer, you know. Um, sometimes out there it feels like it's every man for themselves, but that's what we just really got to change, you know. I feel like Darko's doing a good job in certain that's our offense, uh, just being able to play more together. Um, and it just it, it just helps everybody just be able to have energy out there on the floor, wanting to play for each other, uh, making those sacrifices. It makes you feel more comfortable sacrificing for one another once you're moving the ball, playing with energy. Woof. Like, you guys are talking about being on the same page and you can't show up to media day presenting any type of a realistic plan. I'm sorry. I, I like I've, I've said it a million times. I love Masai Ujiri. I think he is important to the city beyond basketball, which mostly gets overstated with athletic figures. Like, I, let's be honest here. It does. It, it oftentimes is like way too overextended with Masai Ujiri. That ain't it. I hope that this guy is here in Toronto forever in some capacity or the other. But this is just a really tough look, man. You're going in and you've got Pascal Siakam, who has been in trade rumors who does not have a contract extension, who you, you've said you, you haven't even had the contract extensions with. You haven't even had the talks with him. It's like the time is now for Gary and OG, okay? Except for they really can't get OG done now. And the time is not for Siakam, who's your star player, who's one of the best, what, 25 players in the NBA right now, who's in his prime prime, who has exceeded every expectation with this organization. He's saying he's not a selfish basketball player, which I'm like, all right, you know, I hear him. I will say that he, you know, I don't know if he's a selfish player, but I think that he has wanted his flowers as everyone should. I definitely don't view him as like a ball hoggy player, but yeah, there's been some tough moments for him in his Raptors career. Let's be honest. Like this is not a slam dunk for this team. Masai, there's a part, like I think everyone kind of realizes Pascal is sort of the number one trade chip for this team for them to enter that set, that step back for this team, for them to enter the rebuild which is probably the most likely sane outcome here for the Toronto Raptors. But it's just like, 
if you're preaching chemistry and you're preaching, hey, this team is going to be better vibes this year, okay? The vibes were off last year. But you're removing Fred Van Vliet from the equation. You're leaving Pascal kind of on an island. I, I just, it's not exactly the best presentation. And it just makes me feel like the same thing over and over again. Is like these guys cannot execute a plan on a media day. How am I supposed to believe that they're going to execute a plan with the basketball team? And like, I know people are going to say I'm being nitpicky, whatever. I'll get roasted on Raptors Reddit. I don't care. Like, Masai Ujiri, when he was asked about the Dame trade, he goes, quote, sometimes these things are sensationalized in a way to the public. It gets people a little too anxious. We're always going to put ourselves in the right place for these opportunities. There's a reason our team is mentioned when these things come along, end quote, essentially insinuating like, yeah, you know what? We're, we're trying to make these moves. We're trying to do these, but hey, it's a little sensationalized. And then here's our Danielle Michaud of Sportsnet with a sit down with Bobby Webster, the general manager, asking him about Dame. And uh, here, play that. How close were the Raptors to acquiring Damian Lillard, Bobby? <laughs> I always say you have to ask them. You know, I, we, were, we were very aggressive. I'd say um, probably the biggest offer we've ever made for a player. Mm. Probably the biggest offer we've ever made for a player. We were very aggressive. It's a little different than sometimes these things are sensationalized in a way to the public. Like, that's your own general manager who's essentially refuting the thing. It's just like these guys don't feel like they're on the same page. And I don't think that there's a lot of optimism about the Raptors' direction. And it's, again, I, I, I keep reiterating it, but it does feel like it's starting to get to a critical mass here. Something has to give with the Toronto Raptors. And I cannot believe that they're going to be entering a season where the major changes are a coach. By the way, that's the other thing. They're getting sued by another team. And Masai's like, yeah, it's only happened once. And Darko's saying he can't wait to have his day in court. That's all fine and good. But I'm just saying that as you're trying to figure out the drama within your own group dynamics, and you're trying to figure out with a bunch of players who are all going, am I here? Am I going to be here? Like, who's out? Who's out? Who's in? Where are we going? And Masai is saying that it's actually more about the selfishness of the players, like kicking it over onto their end, like they're not giving up their parts of this, and they're getting sued. This is a tire fire, okay? Like, this, if you are just looking at this objectively and you know anything about sports, this is not good. This is not a good way to present yourself coming into a season. So, yeah, Toronto Raptors, for the love of God, figure it out so that we can get back to enjoying you the way that we have during the previous parts of the Masai Ujiri era. Anyways, we're done. Blue Jays playoff baseball today. It's on the station. Huh. Can't wait. See you tomorrow. Same time.